the reading this morning comes in two parts. Uh, The first reading is the parable of the sower from Mark chapter 4, verse 1. The parable of the sower. Again Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed and he was scattering the seed. Some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. The second part of the reading comes from Hebrews chapter 3, commencing at verse 7. A warning against unbelief. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me through 40 years. They saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Tom, very much, and uh, good morning. Great to see everyone today. Uh, Let's just take the words of that last reading and turn that into a prayer. Uh, Let's pray that God would speak to each of us this morning. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Loving Father, we thank you that you've given us the gift of your spirit to help us understand what has been written in the Bible, which is your spoken word. And I pray that you would help me to explain it clearly and that you give each of us hearts that want to receive what you want to say to us today. Amen. Great. If you uh, weren't here last week, I just wanted to do um, a very brief recap because um, we're doing a a five-part series looking at parables, uh, focusing on the parable of the sower. Last week was a kind of overview and then this week and the next three weeks we're going to look at the different soils in the parable of the sower. But if we didn't grasp the truths of last week and understand kind of how parables operate, it would be really hard to engage with the next few weeks. So just a brief recap. Uh, I tried to make the point last week that um, the parables uh, are designed to challenge the mistakes that we can make when we think about Jesus, when we speak about Jesus. So one of the things I said was that the parables act as a kind of spiritual sift, separating people who want to respond to God and people who don't. Um, So they're very powerful, and that's part of the reason why Jesus spoke in parables so much. Notice as well, um, I 
helped us understand verse 11 of Mark chapter 4. Uh, the word secret, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. Remember I said the word secret there doesn't mean unintelligible, can't be understood. Uh, I gave the illustration of baking a cake. I said if my wife Steph bakes a cake, I could say to her, that Bakewell tart was yummy. How did you make it? She could say, oh, that's a secret. I'm not going to tell you. That's one way you can use the word secret. But another way you can use the word secret is saying, ah, the secret to how I made that Bakewell tart is to roll the pastry really, really thin so it cooks and goes nice and crispy. Two different ways of using the word secret. And in this story, that's the sense. The second sense is the sense that Jesus was speaking of. Not something hidden, unintelligible, you can't know, but something more in the sense of a key that unlocks a truth. That is the secret that he's speaking of. I said that this parable, the parable of the sower, in many ways is a parable of all the parables. Because as Jesus was speaking this parable, he was sowing seed. And he makes the point, doesn't he, in this reading, that if we can't respond to this parable, if we don't understand what this parable is about, we won't understand any of the parables he speaks about. And the final thing I made, the final comment I made was, this parable isn't one which is meant to create in us a reaction when we say, ah yeah, there are four different ways to respond to Jesus. And I'm a Christian, so of course I'm the good soil. Instead, this parable is meant to help us to look deep within our hearts and say, actually, could I have a hard heart? Could I have a shallow faith? Could I be a person who's easily distracted and doesn't take Jesus' words seriously? So the question and the challenge which I left us all with last week is, how am I listening? That is the most important question. How am I listening? Well, if you notice in the reading there, uh, what the farmer does is he goes out to sow his seed, verse 4, as he was scattering the seed. He scattered seed just like I scattered the seed in that children's talk this morning, tossing it everywhere, and it would fall in all sorts of different places. And we know from verse 14 of this reading, the seed that is sown represents the word of God. So actually, I'm sowing seed now as I speak. But where's that seed falling? What kind of soil is your heart? Do you remember last week where we looked at that word listen in chapter 4 verse 3? Listen, quite an arresting word. And I drew the parallel between that and a word in the Old Testament in the Hebrew language for hear. It's a word shema. It's a word that comes at the front of many of the prayers that the Jewish people prayed. It was a way it was meant to arrest their attention. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. It's a word that's meant to arrest us so that we listen carefully. And we looked, didn't we, at chapter 4, verse 24, which said, consider carefully what you hear. So I want us, as we begin, just to remember one thing, and it's this. How you and I respond to the word of God is the single most important thing about us. It's that important. I'll tell you the reason why. One of my favorite passages in the Bible that challenges me every day comes in Deuteronomy chapter 32. You don't need to turn to it, but I'll just read it to you. Uh, It's the end of Moses' life. Moses is one of the prophets, uh, a spokesperson for God, used mightily. And one of the last things he says after he's given his commands to God's people for the second time, he says this, When Moses had finished reciting all these words to Israel, he said to them, 
Take to heart all the words I've solemnly declared to you this day, so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. And here's the really important bit. Verse 47. They are not just idle words to you. They are your life. For by them you will live long in the land you are crossing into the Jordan to possess. He's saying that when he speaks, they're not just idle words. They're not just words you can take or leave. They're words that bring life if you receive them. But equally, they're words that bring death if you reject them. Well, have a look at our story because... Notice in, uh, in the beginning of our reading in Mark chapter 4 that the, sower, the, the farmer goes out, he sows his seed, and he was scattering the seed. Some of it fell along the path. Now when you think of the word path, don't think uh, path or road like a modern day road with a yellow line down it, because they didn't have tarmac in those days. And probably don't think of a Roman road. There were these kind of roads with big paving slabs in the cities, in some of the entrances into the big ports, but there weren't roads like this in rural areas. Obviously, Jesus is speaking about a farmer. He's probably in a rural area. We know he's by the lake. There's lots of countryside around the lake where he spoke. It's probably something a bit more like this. Would you notice there's loads of vegetation on either side of this path? But on the path itself, nothing's growing. Now, why not? The path has been compacted by the horses, by the men and women who've walked along it, by the things that have been dragged along by cart. The path's become compacted and the heat of the sun has baked the path so it's become hard. So if seed was thrown onto this path, it wouldn't be able to take root because the path is hard. And of course, if the seed can't penetrate into the soil, what happens? Well, it just lies there, doesn't it? And what do the birds do? They come and have their breakfast. Verse 4 says that the seed that fell on the path, the birds came and ate up. And when Jesus interprets what that means, look at verse 15 over the page. He says, this is like as soon as those who hear the word of God, Satan comes and takes away the seed that was sown. We need to realize that the devil is very active, particularly amongst those who listen carelessly. Who perhaps come to hear the word of God explained or taught and just kind of take it or leave it. I'm not really going to listen. I'm not really that bothered. Satan will be at work because he'll take a word that is sown and he'll snatch it away before you even realize it. That's why Jesus said in the words that we looked at last week, verse 24 and 25, consider carefully what you hear. Do you remember these words from last week? Whoever does not have... That is, whoever does not have a humble heart that wants to respond, that wants to understand what I say, even what they have will be taken from them. This is a picture of the process where God hardens the heart of someone who's not receptive to hear his words. Any of you remember one of these? I grew up in the 80s and then later in the 90s. These are the sort of TVs in the 1980s. And what you see, do you remember those fuzzy pictures? It's called white noise, isn't it? What happens is there's not a regular signal that comes in. It's not tuned in, so it doesn't give us a clear picture. There's this fuzzy kind of um, noise in the background, and it's really irritating. What you had to do was to tune the television a bit to get a clear signal. Uh, If you've got children and you're going on holiday, you'll know white noise that children can give off. It's the kind of noise, irritating noise in the back seat. And as a parent, you just learn to zone out, don't you? It's just noise and they're, they're arguing in the back or they're talking endlessly, asking endless questions and you kind of tune out. 
Uh, perhaps if you're married, um, you might learn that at times you have to tune out from the nagging wife or the irritating husband. You're there, but you're not really there because you just can't keep absorbing. It's not clear what the person is saying. When it comes to listening to the word of God, it's really important that we don't hear this fuzzy white noise in the background and we just tune ourselves out. It's really important that the best time, our best time, is given to listening to God's voice. Now that can be a challenge, can't it? I know that some people have to get up very early for work. I used to be in a job where I had to get up at five every morning. I got home about eight o'clock. Some of you do that every day. It's very hard then to know when do I spend time with God. It would be unrealistic to get up before five in the morning. You'd probably get ill. But could you snatch some time in the busyness of your day so that you could listen to God? If you're a mum and you know the pressure of having three children under the age of five, it's full on from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep. It may be very hard to snatch away some good time to listen to God, but he needs your best time because it's the most important thing and you'll be a better mum for listening. Well, in the book of Hebrews, which we're going to spend a bit of time thinking about this morning, when the writer writes this letter, it's a letter that's addressing the issue of spiritual drift. Christians who attempted to give up, Christians who attempted to take their eye off Jesus, Christians who are facing persecution and want to stop following. And in the reading that Tom read, do you notice in Hebrews chapter seven, uh, chapter 3, verse 7, that the writer who quotes from Psalm 95 starts by saying, Today, if you hear his voice. And that word today comes up three times. You'll see it there in verse 7, it comes up in verse 13 and in verse 15. And that, that word today has a similar effect to the word hear or listen in Mark chapter 4. It's a word that's meant to arrest our attention, that we prick up our ears and we listen. And the question for you and me is, am I listening to his voice today? Don't beat yourself up if you didn't listen yesterday. Don't worry about tomorrow. The question for all of us is, am I listening today? Because the single most important thing we'll ever do in our life is what we do with the word of God when we hear it. So I want to give us all a warning, an encouragement and a challenge. And here's the warning. It's quite a strong warning, but it's the warning that we have in our passage. And it's this, having a hard heart towards God and the things that he says will end up costing you your life. Do you notice in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 7 and 8 the writer says today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts now what does it mean to harden your hearts well have a look in Hebrews look at verse 13 because we get the answer encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by what sin's deceitfulness sin is a word in the Bible that describes an attitude of rebellion towards God And what sin does is it deceives us. It teaches us lies. Here are three popular deceiving or deceptive lies about sin that the devil will whisper to us, the world will whisper to us, and which we buy all the time. The first one is this. Uh, It's not sin. Whatever I'm doing wrong is not really that. It's not sin. But the problem is, if we don't listen to God's voice, we're not going to know what is rebellion against him. We're not going to know what is good to, um, what's a way that is responding in a positive way to him. If we don't listen to his voice, how are we going to know what is rebellion against him and what isn't? That's one way that sin can deceive. We stop listening so we don't know. A second way that sin can deceive is we say, well, it's not that serious. 
What's the big deal if God says one thing and I do something else? I mean, I don't listen to his voice and life seems to work. So is it really a big deal? Why is it that there are millions of people in the world who ignore the words of Jesus and they seem to flourish? But of course, whose standards are we living to? Whose voice are we listening to? We can kid ourselves it's not serious, but only if we don't take seriously the words that he speaks. The third way that we can be hardened by sin's deceitfulness is to say our sin has no consequences. Do you remember Psalm 2? In the, uh, last week in the evening, Alan helpfully helped un- us understand. The kings of this earth take up their stand against God's anointed one. It's the defiance of people who live in this world who shake their fists at God and say, I don't care. My rebellion against you has no consequences at all. I'm happy living life selfishly my way. And yet that's not true, is it? Because if you look down at the bottom end of the reading, the verses that come just after where Tom left off, look at verses 16 to 19. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all that Moses led out of Egypt? That's the Israelites, that's God's people who were rescued from slavery in Egypt. And with whom was he angry for 40 years? That's the walking around in the wilderness for 40 years in the book of Numbers. Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that those they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. What the writer teaches is that not listening to the word of God has really serious consequences. And that is why you get in, this, in the verses we've had, today if you hear his voice. And so the question for all of us is, whose voice do we hear? Uh, you imagine that I um, was a doctor and I'd come up with uh, a solution to AIDS or a vaccination that would cure uh, a terrible disease. And if I came up with this and I was telling you about it with great joy in my heart but a sense of real urgency, there are consequences if you don't take this medicine that I've given you. But if you do, you will live. You can take the medicine or you can just say, I'm not bothered. Thanks, but no thanks. It's amazing what you've got, but I don't care. And it can be a bit like that with God. When he comes and gives us an amazing solution to our problem, he comes to rescue us actually from ourselves. I don't live up to God's standards. I don't even live up to my own. When he comes to rescue me from myself, from my own selfishness and pride, I could say thank you for the remedy that you have given me. Or I can say thank you, but no thank you. And I can turn my back on him. The warning is a very serious one. If I have a hard heart, it will end up costing me my life. But here's the encouragement, and it's a really positive one. When the seed falls on good soil, on a humble heart, it will bear fruit. Keep your finger in Hebrews, but flick back to Mark chapter 4. I often say from the front here that context is one of the most important things to understanding the truth of a passage. Well, here's a good example of one of those. After the parable of the sower, look at the stories that follow. Jesus tells another parable, verse 26. He says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces corn. First the stalk, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. As soon as the corn is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. 
It's a story that shows that God brings forth growth. It's a story that encourages us that if the seed falls on good soil, it will bear fruit. And it should encourage you and me that God is at work in our life if we listen to him. What about the next little parable? What shall I say that the kingdom of God is like, Jesus says? It's like, verse 31, a mustard seed. It's the smallest of all seeds on earth, yet when it's planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. This parable says that the smallest seed can bear fruit. I want to encourage you with that with two ways. Firstly, sometimes life is just busy and it's hard to get a long period of time listening to God's voice, but you can snatch those moments. And sometimes you might just snatch a tiny seed, one truth. But that one seed that you snatched in that first five minutes of the day could be hugely significant for the rest of the day. That could be the difference between living that day to the honor of God and living that day in selfishness and unbelief. Small seeds can bear big fruit. Let me encourage you with your witness. You're, you're sowing seeds, you're sharing the gospel with people, and you know that the seed's going to fall in all sorts of places. Lots of people aren't going to be interested. Some will show an interest, but it won't really bear fruit. Others will just get distracted by the business of life. But this parable teaches that some of the seed will fall on good soil. It may have just been the smallest seed that you sowed that actually ends up being the trigger that leads a person to want to come to church, to have an encounter with Jesus and put their trust in him for the first time. It may not be that elaborate conversation where you sit into the early hours and explain the gospel and read through the gospel and pray a prayer of commitment. It might just be one thing that you say. So I want to encourage you. If you have a humble heart, God will grow you and you will bear fruit. But equally, if you sow a seed and it it falls on good soil in a humble heart, it will bear fruit in their life too. That's the incredible encouragement that you get off the back of this parable. And finally, the challenge. And the challenge is this, very simple. Listen to Jesus and keep on listening to him. Can you just flip back to Hebrews for the last time? Hebrews chapter 3. Do you know it's actually normal Christian experience to have ups and downs? It's normal to have wobbles. It's normal to have days where you love Jesus Christ, other days where it feels very dry. It's, days, it's normal to have days where you're full of joy, other days when you're full of sorrow. That is normal Christian experience. But the challenge is, in the ups and downs of life, will we listen? Have a look at Hebrews chapter 3, because you get three little commands that help us to listen and to keep on listening. The first one comes in verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. What the writer is speaking of is a kind of active and sustained obedience. It's this idea of believing the words that are spoken, but then trusting them. And as you trust them and they take root in your life and begin to work, then they start taking root in your life. You believe the first time, you then trust. As you trust, it's proven to be true. And then those truths can sink deep into your heart and begin to change you. And it's a process. But that is why the writer says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you have a sinful, unbelieving heart. One of the realities of life is that many people hear the voice of Jesus, but very few receive what he says. 
Many hear, but very few receive. And that is why this writer says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart. Notice this bit, that turns away from who? The living God. You're not just turning away from a guru, or a wise teacher, or a friend. You're turning away from the source of life. That's why the last thing Moses says before he dies is, take to heart all the words I've instructed you. They're not idle words to you. They are your life. You know, on Thursday night, I went into London to have a meal with my best friend. And I'll tell you why he's my best friend. I love my mate John because he speaks truth into my life. He encourages me when I'm discouraged. And he rebukes me when I need to be rebuked. And he doesn't mind pulling his punches. He, he never pulls his punches. He always speaks truth into my life. He does it lovingly. But he knows when I need to be challenged. And he, he is like this. He's doing what the writer here says. He's seeing to it that his brother in Christ does not have a sinful, unbelieving heart. When I'm tempted to doubt God's goodness, he says, don't doubt good, good, God's goodness because you know it's true. He's proven himself to you. It's that kind of accountability that every Christian believer ought to have. A good, trusted friend they can be completely transparent with. They can express their joys to. You can express your vulnerabilities to. If you have a good friend like my best friend, it's an incredible gift because they can help you to see to it that you don't have an unbelieving heart. What's the second challenge? Look at it in verse 13. Encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Uh, Some translations translate that word encourage as exhort. It's a kind of a word with a real punch. It's kind of heralding your friend, encouraging them, one another daily. It's a daily need. Do you notice in this little verse as well, verse 13, encourage one another daily so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. That word you is plural. The writer is speaking to Christian people collectively. And as he does it, he's reminding them of the Israelite people, God's people of old. He's saying, be careful that you, together, aren't like them together. God's people who were rescued from Egypt, but stopped listening, and so died in the desert. That exhortation is to encourage each other. And some of the most important people in the life of a church family are the encouragers. It's a particular gift that some people have. To encourage people to keep going. To encourage people to turn back to God when they've mucked up. To encourage that person who's discouraged or hurting. Sometimes it's a spoken word. Sometimes it's just an arm around them. Sometimes it's a postcard or a text message. But the writer is encouraging us to be encouragers. And finally, the third little challenge to listen to Jesus and keep on listening comes in verse 14. Hold firmly. We have come to share in Christ. We've come to know Christ and to experience all his blessings if, indeed, we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. I think the uh, best description I've ever heard of a disciple, a follower of Jesus, is this. A person who has a long obedience in the same direction. Because it's not just about trusting him then, whenever it was that you gave your life to him. It's about trusting him every day and keeping going. And one of the great encouragements for me as a younger man is seeing an older man or an older woman who's had that long obedience in the same direction, who's taken knock after knock through years and years and years of life, but they're still trusting. And they're able to keep trusting 
because God is faithful. So the holding firmly, the confidence that you should have as a Christian believer is not confidence in your ability to hold on to him, but confidence in his ability to hold on to you. So just have a look at chapter 3, verse 6. Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. If you want to have confidence to be confident in Jesus, look at these words that came in chapter 2 of Hebrews. Jesus had to be made like, made like them, that's you and me, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in servants to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. If you want proof that God is committed to you, you look at the cross, and you look at all that Jesus did when he died in your place, when he died in my place, because he's longing for that relationship with us. We first hear about the cross when he speaks truth into our life, and when we don't have hard hearts, when we listen. And the cross will always be special to us, and always make a difference in our life, if, when we hear his voice, we do not harden our hearts. So friends, I want to encourage you to listen and to keep on listening. That is the challenge that this passage gives us. And that is the place where you'll experience Christian growth. You'll experience Christian joy. And where you'll be able to be a disciple who has that long obedience in the same direction. From today until the day he calls you home. Right now might be the moment where the devil wants to snatch away the seed that's been sown. So why don't you just take a moment of quiet just to reflect on the truth of this passage. Perhaps to ask for forgiveness if you know that you've had a hard heart and haven't been listening to the voice of God. And in a few moments the band will come up and lead us in a song and perhaps we'll just uh, stay seated and we'll sing this song together reflecting on all that we've been thinking of this morning.